Welcome to Soul Conversations. We are three Korean adoptees that talk about anything and everything through an adoptee lens. I'm Shanae. And I'm Kara. And this is Season 3, Episode 2. All right, Shanae, it is the week before Christmas. Hard yeah. to believe. How's your week been? What's the theme of your week? What are you tackling? Tell us. You know, what's been going on in your world? Oh, geez. I think the theme of the week, if I were to pick a word, it would just be chaos. (laughs) 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 We flew to San Francisco um, over the weekend to do our first attempt at house hunting and basically found that it's way too expensive for us to live there. Um, But four-day trip, packed in, turned around with the baby, came back, trying to get, you know, Christmas stuff, get the house clean, figure out last minute presents, um, and how to get things quick without using Amazon. <laughs> right, right. It's just, it's busy. What about you? I am definitely feeling the holiday just creep up. I mean, this is, um, you know, I'm just a couple months still into Seattle. So all my normal kind of routine and and things about my life are just kind of misplaced so even when somebody mentioned to me that christmas was next week i was like no it's not like i think i've got like another week they're like no it's like it's here um so i've just been i don't want to say like disassociating but i mean it feels a little like that i've just i'm kind of just a little disoriented i'm you know still trying to keep up with work and i'm trying to pack and we're gonna have our own flying extravaganza as well um, not a baby, but our baby noodle will be on an airplane for the second Aww. time. And let's just say the first time did not go that great. So oh, no. um, I'm just going to kind of go with it. What I've been saying all week is like, it is what it is. If he cries and barks and moans the whole time, like there's literally nothing I can do to change it. So I just need to stop trying to prevent it from happening mentally with my brain because that's not how the world works, unfortunately. So that's been my obsessive thought of the week. Maybe that'll be a part of our new um, part of the intro. What was your obsessive thought of the week? Mine was, (laughs) I'm going to be so embarrassed of my dog on the plane, um, but we're going to get through it nonetheless. So it's been nice because I'm, you know, getting settled, doing some celebrations here with um, my work team here. So feeling a little bit more real life Seattle, real life Starbucks, it's starting to settle in, but just also navigating what does the holidays look like now that I am afar. So new growing pains for a new chapter for sure. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you flying with Noodle is <laughs> basically the equivalent of you flying with the baby because all of those thoughts I shared, I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to cry. She's going to be up in people's space. Like what if she whines? And at the end of I the know. day, you're so right. It's just like, it is what it is. Yep. man. Thank goodness they're cute, right? Yep. The yep. cuteness and saves you, wins you a lot of brownie points. <laughs> the cuteness does. And like headphones, you know, I'll offer headphones. If the person in my row <laughs> does not have one, I'll be like, here's a pair. 
Um, because we've all been on the other side of that too. I just sometimes I think like it's it's that adoptee thing, right? Like I think it's my job to make sure everyone's comfortable. And I'm like, no, it's not. And I've been on flights where babies have been crying and dogs have been barking. And guess what? Like there's nothing when I'm on the receiving end that I can do about it. So everyone else is just gonna have to deal with it. This is me taking up my adoptee space, standing in my power. <laughs> yeah. We also found on this trip, because the first time we flew with Clara, she slept the whole way. Which is oh, great. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. This time, not so much. But <laughs> it's kind of like you know, when you're with a group of people and need to outrun a bear, you don't need to be the fastest. You just can't be the <laughs> slowest. So the great thing about flying at holiday time is there are lots of other kids yes. and babies. And what we That's found so was true. she didn't need to be the most quiet. She just couldn't be the loudest. And thankfully, both ways. There was some family, God bless them, with some screaming toddler That's that hilarious. was getting everyone's attention. That's and hilarious. No one cared about us and our kid. That's hilarious. Now I'm going to be on the flight. Like, where's the kid? Somebody here has a kid. I know y'all are going home for the holidays. You're That's suddenly going to like subtly poke them or just make their child cry. Yeah. So. Or turn to my neighbor and be like, God, this crazy kids. You know, my dog's down there just barking, like just. Uh, a nightmare. That's hilarious. You know, that actually lightened my load. Thank you, Shanae. I, I actually feel a lot more lighthearted going into that with that thought in mind. You're right. There's going to be a baby on that flight. Yep. So people won't be staring. Exactly. Well, that's, gr- that's great. It is the, the crazy holiday season. And what better than to unpack some heavy topics? Right. Just yes. add it on to the holiday stress. Right. So this week, just as a disclaimer, we will be unpacking and discussing Amy Coney Barrett's statements regarding abortion adoption and safe haven laws during the Supreme Court abortion arguments as part of the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization case. Um, It's timely right now. And we don't intend for this episode to be a commentary on whether individuals should be pro-life or pro-choice. Uh, Rather, the focus of our conversation is to comment on the effects and the implications that such statements like Amy Coney Barrett's and as well as sort of the, you know, I'll say, quote unquote, well-meaning people when they say, aren't you glad you weren't aborted to us as adoptees? Um, And just what impacts those statements have on adoptees, the practice of adoption and the adopted community as a whole. I can kick us off. You know, it's funny because even when we had discussions of if we were going to talk about this or not, I definitely had a moment of like my, I don't want to say adoptee privilege, that's not it, but like my adoptee bliss get in the way a little bit of, you know, we talk a lot about how our Koreanness and how our adoption are sometimes separate things. And more often than not, and I think a lot of our content and conversations as Korean American adoptees tend to go on the racial side, right? It's normally about our experiences as people of color and Asians in America. And we don't always talk about what that adoptee piece feels like, especially in isolation. And a lot of times I forget about it. You know, I'm constantly reminded about my Asian-ness. I'm not constantly reminded about my adoptee status. And this is one of those things is when I wake up, and I get onto my news feed and I follow a lot of uh, Korean adoptees, obviously. And I just start and I'll, and I'll be really candid and like, I am actively 
working on my education and politics. So it's not my, my, my strongest suit, you know, that's for sure. So I get onto Instagram and of course my feed is just like blowing up with screenshots of this article, this woman, these headlines, and I'm going, what the hell is going on? Um, so there was a little bit of shock. I mean, just like my initial reaction to the news was a little bit of shock because again, like adoptees aren't always put in the spotlight like this. Um, I'm used to seeing like Asian hate type of headlines, unfortunately, much more frequently, but I don't always see the, the adoption thing come up. And my first reaction, which I don't know if this is like a toxic behavior or not, but I was like, who is this woman? Like, what's her situation? Like, what, what's, why, why is she speaking on this? You know, I see white lady and I'm just like, what's the situation? And of course the first thing that I, you know, read up on is that she has two adopted children from Haiti. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, and it was almost at that moment that I was like, I already know what, I already know what's coming next, you know? And mm-hmm. candidly, I kind of just like put my phone down because I was just like, I know the people, my people are going to go do what my people do. And there's going to be an article and like an opinion piece that's written very closely after this from the adoptee perspective. And the entire nation of adoptees gets the joy and wonder of reopening this wound unconsensually because somebody brought it up who had no right to say what she did, regardless of her adoptive mother status. And if people want to hate me for that, go ahead. But she has no right to say any of those things. And especially, I'll actually say that as especially as an adoptive mother. So that was my initial reaction um, when I first heard about the, the comments and the statement. What about you? I think what first struck me was just the way that she spoke about pregnancy and giving birth, it seemed to be so flippant. And she made us, as in children in general, sound like such a burden. She talked about, you know, the obligations of motherhood and the burdens of parenting. And my initial reaction after seeing it and seeing the response, because it took a while for, I feel like, the adoptee community's reactions to gain traction in the larger media sphere right like on my instagram everyone was all up in arms and and that made sense but for you know for those articles to come out and commentary from the adopted community you know to be in the mainstream news it took a little while yeah but what what came first in her response which i'm not discrediting this at all was how it you know, silenced and infringed on the rights of birth mothers and sort of the the birth mothers' decisions and rights to choose and their access to resources and aid and things like that. And I think, honestly, I I felt like I needed to stand on a chair and yell, like, but what about the kids? Like, what about, right. I, I was so mad because I felt like, okay, here's this white adoptive mother who's now, you know, solidifying this narrative and perpetuating this narrative. And now we have birth mothers and first families, they're getting attention. But like, once again, we're in like the back freaking row <laughs> and nobody's thinking about us. Nobody's saying anything about 
impacts on adoptees. Nobody's talking about adoption trauma. You know, we're not even a blip on anyone's radar. And that really, quite frankly, pissed me off. Yeah. And I mean, and you know me, Shanae, as you've gotten to know me (laughs) as I've joined the show, I like, I'm all, I'm, I'm the angry one with all the conspiracy theories. Right. And like, I think that's by design, you know, it's like, that goes back into the whole, to your point, the, the fairy tale narrative. And when I take a step back, I look at like the audience, right. When I look at the people who are commending and, and commenting and wanting that fairy tale to continue on, it is non-adoptive white parents. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And I just, I can't help but wonder what, what is the end goal here? Right? Like we have, and, and I sound angrier than I mean to sound because like, obviously I have an adoptive white mother and she has never in my life used me as a scapegoat or shield or object or ex- excuse or solution for anything. So it makes me very angry when I see women who represent my mother candidly in a lot of mm-hmm. ways saying things like that, because it it is harmful for everyone involved. And then I get all up in arms about it. But then I have this, this second thought of like, who's actually listening to this nonsense though? Cause it's not other BIPOC people. I'll tell you that. Right. And it's, it's certainly not other Asian people, at least in our, in our circumstance. So it's, it's not to say it makes me less angry. It just makes me dig even deeper of like, what is the end goal of this fairy tale adoption narrative at the end of the day? Who is it trying to make feel better? It's not making us feel better. Mm-hmm. And it's making non-adoptive parents feel better about what? Children that they're not adopting, children that they're not even involved with. So it it to me it just it sparks anger in me because it starts to feel like why are you people who are not involved, who are not a part of the solution, poking around in my business, candidly? Like, you all are not ever here. You guys aren't, you know, sending your fundraising money to women's shelters and foster care homes and trying to fix the adoption system or even look at it objectively. You all are not doing that the other days of the week. But for some reason, when when somebody gets up there and says, look at my my children of color and I'm not racist and they saved me and they're an, you know, they're a an example of how we can fix these things, those are the people who are the first to stand up and start applauding it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where's y'all support the uh, the other days of the week? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you all suddenly involved? Why do you all suddenly have an opinion, even if it's a good one? of adoption and its relation to abortion or anything like that. And, and I guess that's where I just get like angry. That's that internal anger of mine. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there is a difference I think in what Amy Coney Barrett said versus some of the other things we're going to talk about. She specifically referenced safe Haven laws and what she had said about, you know, shouldn't safe Haven laws more or less take care of this need for abortion. And I think it got conflated for some people, not adoptees, but like people who made comments to us Mm -hmm. um, as adoption is a solution to abortion. And I feel like, you know, it needs to be said that safe haven laws and adoption are two very different things. Like safe haven laws are designed to protect the birth mother from being criminally prosecuted for 
child abandonment or neglect or things like that. That's to safeguard the parent, the birth parent. It had nothing to do with the safety of the surrendered child. Whereas Mm. adoption, you know, it's not, but people argue that it's child-centered and that, you know, that's focused more on on the kids. So there is a little bit of a difference there that I think is important to recognize. But I think what I noticed following her comments, and especially in comments on some of our posts within the adoptee community from outsiders, was the comment of, aren't you glad you weren't aborted? Or, you know, adoption saved you. And, you know, some people made horrible comments. I think somebody put some troll made a comment on mine about like, oh, so the trauma of being adopted is worse than the trauma of having your skull bashed in and your life terminated. Just like so graphic and distasteful. But I think the people that don't realize the difference between what she said in those comments now feel like they have license even more to say things like that to the adopted community. Yeah. Thank you for making that clarification. And, and it does make the point of it's never about us. And that sounds like so whiny, but I can truly attest to that in my own perspective of like throughout my entire adoption journey and through sharing my experience and just being a human candidly, the questions and the curiosity and the care to your point is never centered around me. It's always about, well, why did your birth mom give you up? Or like, what happened with your, with your adoptive mom? Cause she not like, it's, it's never someone saying, wow, how did that affect you? Or how did that make you feel? It, it, it is always this surrounding detail that seems to matter. And, and I think that's maybe a part of why we're here, right? And this is a part of the, the movement of adoptees, you know, getting into the media and finally speaking because no one else sure as hell going to listen to us. They sure as hell never passed us the mic before. So this is maybe our moment in time, right? Of us rising and saying, fine, if you guys are going to pass us the mic, like we'll buy our own damn mic. And like, maybe no one listens, maybe it's just us. But it, um, that really stuck out to me when you said that of like, it's never about the child. It's never about us. It's always about everything else that's going on around it. And it does like that comment. I was actually just sharing that as we were talking about this topic, I was like, even like talking to my boyfriend about it. And I was like, did you know that people ask me that? He's like, ask me what? I'm like, people have legitimately asked me would I have rather been aborted. And and just like the look on his face was just like a blank stare because it's just like, of course the first time, and I don't even remember how old I was. And it probably started when I was very young, back in the AIM days, you know, people love to be able to hide themselves. I had people say horrible shit to me when I was a kid. I had people make up like fake screen names and like one person did make a comment like, at least my parents love me enough to keep me. I mean, and and I'm sure that's probably the same way it came in of like, well, what would have happened if you would have been aborted? And it is a really unfair thing to do to a human especially a child and adolescence to even make them have to stop and think about that. Mm-hmm. It gets us to me, and this is a little poetic, a little dark, whatever to me, that is what took me closest to death that that age, you know, like that was probably my first real moment of time where I really considered or thought about, well, what if I were just dead? 
What if I were just not here? And I think we all know what that is laying the foundation for, which a lot of us struggle with was, is this kind of almost internal and, it, and I don't know if it's 100% suicidal, but it's this internal questioning of our existence, of our self-worth that is at the very core, I think, of some of the biggest parts of our adoptee trauma that we carry. You know, we've got the cultural thing, we've got the like the in-between thing and the fog and all that. But like this idea of I was a decision away from not being here and having to think and having to be faced with that thought is an unnatural and unfair thing, candidly, to put anyone through. Mm-hmm. That's my my poetic rant for the day, I guess. No, you're 100% right. And to your point, I mean, I was thinking, are there any other circumstances in which someone would ask another human being that question or some vein no. of that question? Yeah, and that's no. what I came up with. I was like, no one would go up to an addict or somebody who, you know, <laughs> survived an overdose, who was having a difficult time going through the rehabilitation process. No one walks up to them and says, well, aren't you glad you didn't die? Like, <laughs> nobody says that. And I don't know if it's that people still don't, you know, I do. I do think that it's people still don't recognize adoption as a form of trauma because of the fairy tale narrative that is so pervasive. Um, but I think it's, it's that almost like that invisible illness, right? Nobody believes you and everybody right. then can put their two cents in. And they're like, Oh, I'm sure it was hard. Maybe you got picked on boohoo, but you have two loving parents and you, you know, right. live in an upper middle-class neighborhood. You have right. the benefits of white privilege and like you're here. Right. And it's just like, to have somebody quantify your quality of life that way, who is on the outside and doesn't know you and knows nothing about your experience and doesn't even care to ask, is just so incomprehensible. It is. And it also makes me want to turn to that person and say, okay, well, what about all the adoptees that don't have those things? So then then how do you reconcile that asshole? Like, what do you say to the adoptee who was put into an abusive home, who faced violence or sexual abuse or neglect or favoritism or non-favoritism and all the other things that we know very well that goes on in adoptive families? Mm-hmm. It's like, then what do you say to those people? Like, it's easy for people to throw the adoption fairy tale in people's faces who they know are quote unquote in a better situation to their standard. But there are so many voices of adoptees that are not in that situation that never get the light of day. And that is just unfortunately a part of the situation, right? Right. Probably not in a situation or some, I won't say all, some in a situation where they're not in the economic stance to be on a fancy podcast and all these things, right? It's, it, it is, it is the cycle shown in itself right then and there and people only want to point out the good parts and it's like you are completely ignoring a large portion of the adoptee community when you say stuff like well all the nice things that you were afforded by your adoption then for make up for the trauma because there's a lot of people that did not get that good side of the deal either so obviously you know the decisions by the supreme court regarding these cases and whether or not Roe versus Wade will in some form or another be overturned isn't going to be for a while. I think maybe summer of 2022 is when that decision would would roll out. But if we were really to 
roll with the idea of adoption as a substitute for abortion or as a replacement or solution for abortion. Again, hypothetically speaking, there are so many things wrong with the adoption system and the practice of adoption that would need to get solved in order for it to be a solution to anything because adoption in and of itself is problematic right now. You figure you have the disparities between, you know, costs and adopting children of color versus white children and, you know, just the coercion and the whole market and capitalism and all of that needs to be addressed way before it could be touted as a solution to anything. Yeah. I mean, the the thing that comes up in my mind is there's a very scary thing, at least from my belief in the truth. The truth is that anyone can be a parent or anyone could have children. I'll say it that way. And that's scary for a lot of reasons. That is at the core of why adoption is a thing that's necessary, right? Because there were parents who were not ready or not willing, whatever the situation was, right? And then there's also people now on the other side of the adoption cycle who want to adopt a child for a plethora of reasons. I won't say that they're all one way, but some of them are for vanity, right? And because you want to choose and you want a healthy one, you don't want the ones with the drug problems and you don't want this one, you don't want that one. And it puts everybody in a, not everybody, it puts children in a very vulnerable and dangerous position because we're already the victim of a situation where somebody wasn't ready and willing. And now you're putting us in a situation where there's people on the other side who have other reasoning, other maybe misguided intentions that are waiting for us on the other end. And that's not to say, again, it's everyone, but that's certainly going to, the implications of there being more adoptions is not a good thing. And I'm not sure what that does to the ecosystem, if you will, of abortion, adoption, foster care, and contraceptives, and healthcare. I mean, it just, the circle gets wider and wider and wider because everything is intertwined. And I think any blip or any disruption in that ecosystem is going to cause huge implications, like a ripple effect, if you will, out to all of those neighboring elements. I mean, now I'm just getting kind of like a little nerdy, kind of like now I really sound like the con- the conspiracy conspiracy theorists of the group. I'm out here like conspiring, but it it's all that to say that it's frustrating that we never get the spotlight, we never get to be, we never handed the microphone like I was saying earlier, and then these moments happen where again I'm kind of just having my 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 day my week and then it does it disrupts my life like you know I'll be the the girl to say I was triggered you know whatever but it's just like now I'm just trying to live my damn life I'm just trying to go to work and do whatever and now I've got you know and and I fell into the trap of going into the comment sections of all these articles and I'm just like you know I should not have even done that because now my blood is just boiling mm-hmm and here it is, once again, my adoption trauma is disrupting my day-to-day life. Like, it's in the news, it, it's, it's you know, I, 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 it's in my relationships, it's everywhere, and now he, here, here I am again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. Well, some digging that I did, you know, when we were just talking about the topic and discussing if we were even going to go here, 
was I wanted to start to get just a general understanding. So my disclaimer is that I am not the encyclopedia or the Wikipedia article for this, but I wanted to understand a little bit about the history of abortion in Korea as well, because it's like, you know, there's all this buzz that's going on um, with abortion and the laws here in the United States, but I couldn't help but trace it back to like, well, how does this, how has this affected me, you know, overall, even at, at the beginning? And I'll kind of give you the summary, which I thought was interesting. So abortion has basically been illegal in Korea for the past 68 years. And it wasn't until January of this year, actually, that the necessary legislative, oh my God, I can't say that word. The necessary measures were put into place to actually um, declare it, that the criminalization of abortion is unconstitutional. Oof, that's like a bunch of words that I'm not normally used to to talking about, obviously. So it's long story short for other people who are on my on my level of understanding this. It's been illegal basically up until now. And that's not to say that abortions weren't happening in Korea, just like abortions in America um, aren't, 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 are still happening no matter what the state um, situation is. But it really started to give me context of what happened to us. How did we get here? You know, we, we, we talk about this boom that happened in the 80s, of course, from the war and all that things. But like what was really at the root cause of it? And it's interesting that it goes all the way back, um, you know, where is it, to 1953, when it was um, declared illegal. And then I started to read a little bit more about, you know, now that they're on this journey to seeing what non-criminalization of abortion looks like in Korea, it's like, it's not just going to flip a switch and it's going to be like fine and dandy. It's like, you know, access to safe practices and information is very limited. So it's going to make it very hard for people to practice it in a safe way. Um, hospitals can deny procedures. So even though it might be, you know, legal, there's still going to be this old school thing in place that's going to keep people from doing it. And then the third was like this, the stigma, right? And like, we all know from having all these discussions, how stigmas in Korean culture are live and die. You know, it's not just oh, this person's stepping outside of the cultural norm. It is like shame. It is exile. It is like um, family disowning. It is, it's a very strong thing to step outside of the culture there. And I was reading that some of the women who get pregnant in Korea um, out of wedlock specifically are sent to these shelters. And these shelters are run by the government, religious groups, and ding, 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 adoption agencies. So I started to, I, I, I was like falling down the rabbit hole and I was like, oh my God, like that's what's happening. And that has, what has happened is these women got pregnant. They had nowhere to go. They were exiled from their families and, and from their neighborhoods and they were sent to these shelters. And guess who's waiting for them on the other side, the adoption agencies to say, we can help you. We know what you do. What, what we can do from here. We can help you. And if you give us your child, we can give you access to financial care and to resources. And that that is just where my brain and my heart just starts to crumble a little bit. And it could be just like, it's obviously like a totally made up narrative that's in my, in my adoptee head that just gets created. But it breaks my heart to think about how the implications of women's rights and, and, access to these things, regardless of what side of the fence you're on, have real effect on full, and I'll use the word again, ecosystems and 
and systems and at this point industries. I mean, the adoption industry is making money off of this and it just I don't really have a conclusion, I guess, but it's more so just I find it heartbreaking that this is such this is at the root cause of so much of the adoption industry and how we even got here in the first place. Mhm. I know when you and I were talking briefly before we started recording and you had shared that bit of information with me, it kind of knocked me out of my chair a little bit because from my own personal story with my birth mother, you know, I knew that she was in a woman's shelter called Esther's house. I knew that she was pregnant out of wedlock and that she was fleeing an abusive, um, relationship with my father. But in the and I think I referenced this in another episode, but in her letter to me, she had said that one of the, you know, that she wanted to keep me, but that, you know, I can't remember how it was phrased and it was translated from Korean, but basically that the people who were in charge of that shelter or who were providing her shelter had said that her staying and her access to services was conditional on her putting me up for adoption. No, so, no, no. Like hearing you say that, no. and I think in my mind, to be honest, until you just shared that, I was always a little bit curious and a little bit skeptical of, you know, who's telling the truth because there's also a little bit of a discrepancy with the timeline you know it seemed like from the paperwork from the adoption that i was essentially like ripped away immediately after birth but based on her letter it seems like i was with her for some time whether it was days whether it was a week yeah maybe a little bit longer i don't think it was a huge amount of time but she you know, talked about feeding me, bathing me, holding <sighs> me and things. And I was a little bit, I was always like, is that her rewriting the narrative? Is that her version of the story? Like, where is the truth? Right. And I had a really hard time sitting with that. But now hearing you say that, I feel like I could confidently go out and say, like, I am 95% certain that the shelter she was in was one of the ones like the one you just talked about and that that was really the circumstance of her situation. Yeah, I have a newfound shift of anger towards the adoption agency. (laughs) We were kind of sharing earlier that, you know, as a child and as an adolescent, at least for me, my anger was like always directed at my birth mother for so long. And as I've entered my in my next chapter of being out of the fog and continuing my education, I'm learning more and more about the adoption agencies. And I feel this anger shifting from my birth mother to the adoption agencies because the more and more I hear about them and and, and just, you know, connecting with adoptees and, and someone we're going to have on the show later, which I'm excited, um, excited to have, was talking about how like even in the birth search, you know, um, process the the adoption agencies are really not there to help us and like maybe i was naive to think that you know this is their post adoption service this is a big part of what they do and maybe that is me still being in the fog a bit i don't know or just being naive but it's like no no like it's it's by design they say we can't tell you anything more this is where we stop or we don't have that information and it's like no they do 
they all they have it and they're not going to give it to you. And and there's been some people who've had to go through very different avenues to get it. And it's all there, but it's being kept from us, which again, like it, it it's all this is to say that I'm not anti-adoption, obviously. Like I'm obviously benefiting from <laughs> from the adoption ecosystem and industry in some way, shape, or form. It's more just I'm I'm frustrated and I'm a little heartbroken over the lack of representation that we have in the conversation, which again, like I said, is maybe why we're all here and this is our moment to be a part of it. But it's it's a lot to process, you know, again, like on a Tuesday or Wednesday day, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm looking up abortion history in Korea and I'm looking up the abortion laws in the United States and I'm thinking back on my own, on my own story. And I'm thinking about how these things have harmed me over time. And, you know, it's a lot for like a Wednesday afternoon type of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if we were to step back and bring it back to the United States, because that at least in regards to sort of the catalyst for us having this conversation right now, you know, those circumstances are rooted in the United States. And Nate Campbell had referenced this in his episode in season two about how women's rights in the United States and the supports that they receive as single mothers in the United States is very different than the supports or lack thereof that single mothers would receive in Korea. And that a lot of times people forget that and forget that the cultural norms and societal norms are different. The services are different, but specifically for the conversation in the United States regarding adoption and abortion laws, do you feel like our, or even if I narrowed it specifically to the conversation about abortion do you feel like adoptees need to have a seat at that table? Or do you feel like it's specifically a women's rights issue? Mm, that's an interesting question. I think for certain parts of of unpacking that issue, absolutely, we should have a seat at the table. I don't know what that looks like. But I think when it gets into the realm of abortion, because at least the way I perceive it in the United States is that abortion is so tied to religion and contraceptive like that Mm. seems to be where it again which is ironic or not ironic or coincidental rather that the parent part of it and the child part of it is actually not even like the center of the issue right it's my perception of it at least in the united states is like it's about control Mm. it's about being able to control what women can and can't do where they can and can't do it when and when they can and can't do it so the idea of an adoptive voice in those situations, in that context, it doesn't make much sense. Because again, we're, we're not, no one's even concerned about the child. You know, again, people, people want to argue, and I'll try my best not to get into the political part of it, but people want to argue when is, is, is okay. You know, and like right. the fact that that's what people want to fight over shows me where we're at in the United States, you know? And, and you see a lot of these people who talk, who try to dismantle, um, pro-life people, they've been trying to relabel them correctly as like, no, you're Mm pro-birth. You know, those two things are very different. And, and it wasn't until I started to understand that point of view a little bit more that I did start to realize, wow, like actually the child and the child's well-being and their future is the missing piece from the conversation always. 
-hmm. It's always about what does my religion say? When do we decide is the beginning of life? And what can a woman do and not do? Right. And there's never, there's, I've never seen, you know, a pro, you know, sometimes I see like snarky comments, of course, where like social justice warriors will hop into the comments and be like, oh, you're so pro-life. How many foster kids you got? Like, that's kind of like the, the middle school bully response to that, I guess, which I mean, it's, there's a point in that, right? Mm-hmm. But it just is a again a, a, a horrible reminder that nobody's actually worried or or weren't or wondering about us, right? So to answer your question around about why it's like I think ideally we, we should have a seat at that table, and I think ideally in certain you know sub parts of that larger issue we should be there. But I think where my perception is of the United States and what we are talking about, we're not even considered. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I I agree. I think that there are parts of it that are definitely not appropriate for the adopted community, you know, to to weigh in solely as the adopted community. Obviously, people that identify as female and, you know, intersect with women's rights can speak to that point. But I think where we need to enter the conversation is specifically in situations like the one we're in right now, where we're talking about alternatives. If you're going to ban abortion, what are the what are the steps to make that happen? If you're truly going to put in, we'll call it a good faith effort. Right, not just outlawing right. it and making it illegal and not changing anything else, um, you know. But specifically, when we start getting used as pawns and poster yeah. children for success stories, and when adoption becomes the new gold standard, I think that's when we absolutely need to speak up, and we are speaking up. I should say that is absolutely when people should start listening to us, right. Um, in our stories and our perspectives and, you know, working side by side with us, with coming up with solutions. And I don't even know for those who are like, oh, well, everybody should just adopt all the children instead of having them aborted. (laughs) In actuality, I want to be like, but that's not the way it's going to play out. Like, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if we would see, you know, the first orphanages in the United States. And I don't even know how long. Um, but we all know that there are going to be, I don't want to call them facilities, but, you know, homes or organizations, right, just filled with the kids who aren't adopted. Yeah. And and if I have, again, I'm really showing my um, my cynical side tonight. And if I had to bet on American culture and good old capitalism and our just our nature as, as a nation, I know exactly what will happen is in that hypothetical situation where there are more are more children going into the adoption system, the standards of being an adoptive parent are going to go lower and lower in order to keep up with that demand. Right. And that is, I mean... I say that it's like a shocking thing, but then I think about all like the school shootings that happen in America and I'm like, we clearly don't care about our children. And this is just, this is just a continuation. Now I really sound like a liberal left nut, right? But like it, it's, it's, 
trying to stay out of politics, but it, it's, 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 it's infuriating because it is the reminder that we don't care. We don't right. care. We love to act like we care. We love to put the St. Jude's commercial up on during the holiday time to bring it back to current day. We love to do that. But when it comes down to what we are really willing to do to ensure the safety of children in America, the answer is not a lot. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the foster care system as it stands right now is still riddled with issues and problems. You know, a human that, and this is where I get a little mushy-gushy, is, you know, a human that did not get a chance to be properly cared for is one of the most tragic things that can happen, you know, to that person, to the people that are around. And I just, that's where I guess my my kind of hopeful voice comes in of like, when are people going to care that like co- overcoming trauma, especially as a child, is sometimes a lifelong journey that some people never beat. And we're all so caught up in this life of jobs and busyness and this, that, or the other. But there are some people who are really carrying heavy things and some people never make it out. And you know, when I was meeting with another adoptee the other day, and I do think that I take this for granted sometimes, is that I, when I met with that adoptee, he looked at me and he said, I just want to let you know like how proud I am of you. And I, at first I was like, bro, that's like not necessary. Like, what is that? And he reminded me of how many of us don't make it out. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, we've, we've been talking about mental health awareness and, you know, all the things that have been happening within our community. And, and it's true. And, I'm kind of tired and I, I do a great job of gaslighting myself, you know, just given <laughs> our circumstances, you know, that, that adoption thing of like, Oh, you didn't have it that hard, whatever. But it's true. Like I forget that for some adoptees, the weight is a lifelong journey that sometimes gets the best of us and some don't make it out. And I don't think I take a step back enough to recognize the weight of our trauma and the weight of the work and the therapy and the things that go into it. And I have access to those things, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a acknowledgement of it's heavy and it's hard. And these things hurt. These comments hurt when it's made so flippantly, like it's that, um, it touches on the nerve of like, we're always like the, op- the second option. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, we're always like, we're always the solution to the problem. We're always the, the thing that people resort to when the plan doesn't go as planned. And I'm going to try, I'm going to exhaust every option before I do that. And for me, at least personally, that has done horrific things for my self-worth and my self-esteem as a human. And there are some days where I look myself in the mirror and say, it's a damn miracle. I wake up every day and put a smile on my face and have some self-esteem because there is a serious wound in me that constantly tells me that I'm always going to be the second option. Right. Right. And And it's, it's not fun. Yeah. And it's hard enough without people then coming at you and making that comment of saying like, well, aren't you glad that you're alive and expecting you to, you know, look at that at them with a smile on your face and say, oh, I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. You're right. You know, I'm so glad that I'm here. Like, I'm sure that there are days where some of us, you know, are glad to be here or have moments of appreciation, just not in some like overly you know, adoptee way, but like 
and the way that you walk outside and you're like, wow, it's a really nice day outside. Right. <laughs> but then there are, but then there are other moments where I'm sure, and I know definitely, at least for myself, if somebody asked me the aren't you glad you weren't aborted question on certain days, I would look at them and I would say no. Isn't that and horrible? I would probably Isn't that mean horrible? It in so that bad. moment. I know. Like it's and horrible. people just don't understand the like, oh, how could you say that and blah 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 and you know usually to be completely candid it then goes to like are you saved do you need to be saved it goes to a religious oh, God. tangent right. um but you know and I think that's the thing too when people ask that question they they aren't expecting people to say no right which again I'm like what's the end goal here people I, I, and maybe that's the maybe that'll be the comments or the question that we put out there. It's a little uh, it's a theoretical question, but like who is, who is consuming this story? Like who is the story for? You know who who are these people that are like? I want you to say yes. You're so you're so happy you're saved. What what's what what stake do you have in this game, stranger? Who's not an adoptive parent? Who's just asking me if I'm happy I wasn't aborted casually as I'm walking down the street? Like. What's it to you? And you're yeah. right. Like there are certainly days that I probably would have answered it in a certain way and people might not have liked it, but it's, it's like you asked, don't mm-hmm. ask questions. You don't want to hear the answer to bro. Like that's, that's a karmic rule right there. <laughs> Do you think it's worse or is it worse? It might not be. I've been asked that question by randos on the street who are, not parents, not adoptive parents, just, you know, I'm going to say it again, usually religious people. Um, But I've also, especially recently, been asked that question by adoptive parents who have followed up, you know, the comment with, you know, well, I know that my children are glad that they weren't aborted. I want to be like, I feel sorry for your children that, they, you know, maybe they don't, maybe they don't feel that way, but I'm pretty sure you're not giving them the space to feel that way if they do. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I would do if I had another adoptive parent ask me that. See, I thought you were going to go the route of like, is it better when it's someone that's close to you or a stranger? Cause like Todd and I were kind of like talking about that, but like that is a whole other special person that has the nerve to try to get confirmation on a question like that from another adoptee when I can guarantee, I won't curse, T, that they would never have the audacity to ask their own children that. Well, and if they do, I hope I to God imagine. they don't. Right. I hope to God they don't. I hope, I hope they don't. I hope to God there are not. And, and and if you're out there, if you're an adoptee out there and you're listening to this and this has happened to you, I am so sorry. I hope that there no. is not a situation where an adoptee parent would look at their child and ask them, would you have rather been aborted? Or aren't you so happy you weren't aborted? Like that, that just, the fact that they would even ask another adoptee though, makes me like, you know, nothing surprises me. It's probably happened. And I, hate- I, would be, I would be ignorant to say that it hasn't happened. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, I feel like now it's my turn to be cynical. Like, <laughs> there are definitely adoptive parents out there who maybe don't ask their children verbatim, like, aren't you glad you weren't aborted? But who say things, you know, like, you know, 
oh, you're so lucky that you're here and that your mom chose to give you to us instead of, yes. you know, letting you die or whatever, yada, yada. <laughs> and I mean, if it's not even adoptive parents, you know, certain, whether it's in church or Catholic schools or other, I'm going to say it again, religious institutions, <laughs> um, you know, that that is very heavily suggested Right. And even in the in the idea that adoptees should be grateful and that we should be thankful, right? In the most open-ended way, that little phrase that you weren't aborted is still couched in that, right? You know? It's like, well, it what is. are we and grateful and thankful for? You're insinuating something. Right. And that is another, I would say, root cause of some of my most deep adoptee wounds is this constant need to validate my existence. I was told I was supposed to be grateful and now I'm forever indebted to proving my worth on this earth by being successful and having a job and doing this and having and like that has been the pressure that has been put on me since I was a child because of that exact sentiment is aren't you so lucky? Aren't you so glad? And it was like, yes, I am. And now I have to I feel indebted. That's how I feel. I feel indebted. Like I escaped death. I escaped abortion. I escaped the worst case scenario. Everyone around me has told me how wonderful and beautiful and lucky I am. And now I'm going to spend the rest of my life proving it to everyone that I was mm -hmm. worth saving and I was worth not aborting. And that has been the exhaustion that has torn down my mental health candidly as a young adult. It probably didn't show up as much when I was younger, but as I've gone through my therapy and I've gone through my self-exploration and self-acceptance journey, that is a big piece of work that has to be chipped away at. And it comes from that. And yeah. it sounds dramatic, but it's like to tie it back, that is why when people make these flippant comments or they make comments that are taken out of, out of context to the general people that put adoption in this lighthearted fairy tale situation they are ignoring people who are suffering every day i know it's like what's the price of a child's life right and as an adoptee we have a monetary price legitimately a which legit, is yes. disgusting but also you know we're I don't know if we're the only group of people, but we're a group of people who essentially every day are told that in some way, shape, or form, we need to pay for our existence. Yep. We spend our entire life yep. paying paying off our life, which yep. if you really sit and think with that, if you're not an adoptee, let that sink in. <laughs> right. Well, all this cynicism i think to say <laughs> that you know this has been a very you know i'll be candid it's been kind of a difficult conversation to tiptoe on so i appreciate shanae your grace and just having kind of a tough conversation and hearing your reactions as an adoptee it inspires me to dig deeper into how these things affect me on a day-to-day -day basis and again, like we're not here to sway anyone one way or another, but I do think it's a chance for all of us collectively as an adoptee community to pause and think about 
the implications that these things have on our lives and, and do what you want with that information. You know, you might feel compelled mm-hmm. to, to talk to people about it. You know, we're obviously here. If you want to reach out and you're angry and you need a sounding board, or if it's just a moment, just to pause in general, it's, it's kind of hard to lead us to next steps. You know, for me, at least it leaves me in a place of these things happen. I feel really angry. And then I kind of get left with this like burning desire of like, well, what do we do now? Like, I'm like waiting for the adoptee town hall, I guess. Like I'm so used to like corporate life now. It's like something bad happens. We have a town hall. We all talk about our feelings. I'm like waiting for the link to the adoptee town hall for us to like air our grievances. Cause I'm not sure what the action is. I'm not sure what we can or can't do in this situation, but I do feel empowered that, you know, and Benny's not here with us tonight, but you know, Benny was really one that kind of even encouraged us when we were kind of going back and forth. Like, do we discuss it? Do we not? Of like, no, like we are the media. I can't get over that. We are the media. (laughs) We are the media. We have to stand up. We have to say these things. So I'm thankful that I've got you two as friends and have a platform to be able to discuss these things. These are all obviously my thoughts and experiences, and I might have jacked up some of these facts as well. So I definitely encourage everyone and everyone to do their own research slash confirmation bias digging on your own and to educate yourself. Absolutely. But I'm, I'm thankful for the conversation and I'm still kind of, you know, left with that yearning. Like now what, what do we do? Are we always going to be overlooked? Are we always going to be the person left out of the conversation? I don't know, but I guess this is our way of inserting ourselves in the conversation. Mm-hmm. It definitely is. And as Benny has said, we are the media. <laughs> but I am equally glad to have sat down and had this conversation with you. I'm glad that we decided to dig in and do it. And, you know, on our kind of episode roadmap at the end of every episode, there's something that says takeaways. And I think I agree with you, Kara. I don't 100% know from the adoptee standpoint what the next step is or what the takeaway is. But I do really feel like for those listeners who are not adoptees, but are maybe part of the adoption constellation Mm -hmm. um, or have maybe even made comments like the ones we've talked about or believe some of those comments, I think the takeaway I would like those listeners to have is to think twice before you say something like that. And I hope that they learn something. I hope that they, you know, I hope that there has been some light shed on why things like that are so rude to say and problematic to say. And I hope, you know, just like all of our episodes, that it just opens up the door for more conversation for both sides. I love that. That 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 would be our one takeaway. Do not ask adoptees if they would have rather been aborted. That'll be the Instagram post right there. I know we need it. <laughs> That'll be the title of the episode. Yeah. Do not do this. <laughs> On behalf of all of us, please stop asking us if we would have rather been aborted. End episode. Exactly. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening. Um, You can follow us on Instagram at Soul Conversations, and you can check out our website, www.soulconversationspodcast.com. You can leave a review, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And with that, we will see you all in two weeks. Bye, everyone.